greatest rescue that was ever known, and that is the first coming of Christ. And again, with Advent, as we see that the Lord is coming, and he has come, but he is going to come again. So we kind of keep those things in our heart. If you'd like to, turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 7 for most of the time today. We'll move around just a little bit. But uh, I just have loved the book of Isaiah. I really kind of came to love it so much when I was in seminary. And, of course, it wasn't shortly too long after that that we had a son and we named him Isaiah. Part of that is because of the richness of this book. Today, again, I would like to be very clear. The Lord is capable and able to rescue you. He can rescue the littlest child, as we've seen today, and he can rescue one of the oldest folks who's almost ready to pass away. The Lord can deliver, and he brings hope and peace and faith, as we heard at our ICF Christmas celebration just a week ago, and he brings it in every situation. And so today, if you will let the Lord speak to your heart, I know you will be encouraged. All right, let's just start with the scripture and then we'll kind of get into the message a little bit today. The title, very simple, is Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. This Isaiah in verse 1, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Amen. Verse 3, thou hast multiplied the nation and increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and a fuel of fire. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever." The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. When I read that, it makes me want to shout. (laughs) But I'm trying to be careful with you guys today. Oh, man, could you see the truth that comes through here? That when the Lord sets up his kingdom, there is nothing that can vanquish it, but that he will order it. All right, today again, we look forward to the idea of, of some hope and joy. And just a quick thing to kind of get you thinking a little bit this morning. There was a little boy who approached Santa in a department store with a long list of requests. He wanted a bicycle, and he wanted a sled, and a chemical set, and a cowboy suit, a set of trains, a baseball glove, and some roller skates. That's a pretty long list, Santa said sternly. 
I'll have to check in my book and see if you are a good boy. No, 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 the youngster said quickly. Never mind checking. I'll just take the roller skates. Right? Is that our life sometimes with the Lord today? Um, Lord, I need this and this and this. Well, don't check on where I'm at spiritually. Just give me one of the smaller things. I'll be good with that, right? Today, the Lord wants all of you, 100% of you, not 10% of you, (laughs) not a portion of your life. He wants it all, and he will use it all for his glory. And again today, what I want to point you to is we have great, great reason to rejoice. When we think of the pink candle today, we think of the Lord's love that has been bestowed upon us. We have so much to rejoice about. So let's look in verse 2. And we'll begin to point those things out and hopefully be encouraged today, no matter where you're at or what you're going through. We want to talk briefly about the idea of light. Light, the Lord is light. In verse 2, Isaiah says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The people that walked in darkness. We've been doing the book of Hosea on Wednesday nights. And if you remember, the Lord asked Hosea to go and to marry a prostitute, right? And what he was highlighting was the adultery of his own nation. Hosea speaks to the northern tribes of Israel, the northern ten tribes. And at the end of Hosea's life, what will come to pass is that God's judgment will be executed on his people. It was a very dark dark time. If you guys study up, you'll find out that Isaiah lives in very much the same time frame, just a little bit after Hosea in this very dark time. Do you ever feel like you live in a dark time? Yeah. Sometimes you look around and you're like, why is this allowed to happen? Or where is hope? Or why do people treat each other that way? You think things like that, right? I always think of the early church. It's always amazing to me that when God brought Christ to the earth, he didn't set it up under some really righteous, holy, perfect kingdom, but they were under Roman authority. (laughs) And immediately when they began to speak the gospel, they were persecuted, so much so that some of them were thrown to the lions. Wouldn't that be a dark time? As we've gone through our different countries. We did North Korea this year. Remember we did Syria last year. If you guys go through any of the prayer apps, you'll see over and over that there are some dark places out there, aren't there? There are some dark places where the light is trying to to pick its way through, but darkness seems to be ruling the day sometimes. And here's the great message for us today is that the Lord breaks in on the darkness. The darkness is going to come on Israel as Assyria will come and they're going to take away Zebulun. They're going to take away Naphtali and they're going to take away the people of a town called Galilee. You ever heard of that town? We're going to talk about that more in just a second. Today, I want to remind you again that without Christ, the world is a dark place. What does Jesus say that we are early in the book of Matthew? You are salt and light, right? Even as Christians, We should be reflecting the light, kind of like the moon. We should be like a moon reflecting the sun, right? I want to challenge you this week very much. I hope that you will pray and look for an opportunity to reflect the light of Jesus in the world. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be in a school. It may be in your workplace. 
But I want you to pray even today as you're sitting there. Again, if the Lord would speak to your heart, Lord, open my eyes that when I see some people that are in a dark place, that I can reflect your light into their life. Even as Esther shared with us this morning, there are some people hurting so much today. And this coming week will be one of the hardest weeks for them for all year as they remember loves that they've lost and things that they're not the way they used to be. Pray that the Lord would allow you to shine light into a dark place, even as Jesus is a light to us when we were in a dark place. It is now more important than ever to share the good news that the light has come. And who's going to do it if you won't? Amen? Amen. Don't wait for somebody else to step up, somebody else to say something. Folks, we need to take advantage of the opportunity we have because of the joy we have. We need to share it out. Even as we look forward to the Lord's second coming, remember that the light is coming again, even as it came 2,000 years ago. A little reminder from that in the book of John, if you like, you can turn over to John chapter 1, and we'll be reminded of what John writes about the light and about Jesus being our light. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, the scripture says this, in him, that is Jesus, in him was life And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Didn't you love David this morning? I tell them, but they don't listen. (laughs) Don't you feel the same way sometimes? I try to tell them what the Lord does. They don't don't listen. Lord does, they don't listen. Here you go, right? (coughs) Excuse me. The darkness comprehended it not. Verse 6, John writes, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might what? They might believe. You guys, this is what Christmas is about. Don't get me wrong. I love Christmas trees and I love lights and I love Christmas carols and I really love Christmas cookies. (laughs) But this season, we have been given a challenge and a task to reflect the light of Jesus that all men and women might believe. Because if they believe, it's a life changer. It's a game changer. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, moving on in verse 8. He was not that light, speaking of John the Baptist, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. Again, just in case you're not tracking yet, when was Isaiah written? Around 700 B.C., he's talking about unto us a child will be born in this dark place where there was darkness in this town called Galilee. And what we find out in the book of Matthew is all this comes to pass, just like Isaiah prophesied. If you'd like, turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. And again, we're going to look at how the light is a fulfillment of even what Isaiah prophesied all the way back 700 years before Jesus was born. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, the scripture says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to where? To Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of where? (laughs) Wait a minute, is this sounding familiar? Zebulun and Naphtali, right? Did you look at Isaiah? Were you listening to what I read just a while ago? Matthew has given us a history lesson. 
Hey, in this area, Jesus went over to Galilee, which is in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is exactly what Isaiah spoke of over 700 years ago to fulfill, verse 14, what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Where does that shadow, does that sound familiar? Shadow of death, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely what? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't fear the shadow of death. Look forward to the goodness and the mercy in the house of the Lord. When we inhabit those shadows, and we feel them sometimes, don't we? Death is nearby, but the light has come. I'm being good today. I really am being good. I'm trying not to scare you. (laughs) The light has come. His name is Jesus, and that's why we can rejoice today, because the light has come, and we don't have to fear the darkness. Verse 17 From that time on, Jesus began to preach. And what does he preach? The same thing I hope that this preacher preaches even today. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When Jesus shows up, he brings the light. And light is hope to the hopeless, isn't it? Have you ever been in a dark place and need the light? Come and visit our church at night sometime. (laughs) I hear Diane laughing up there. Diane flips on all the lights, doesn't she, right? What does light do when you're in a dark, big, dark place? It kind of pushes out the fear a little bit, doesn't it, right? You guys, that's what Jesus also does as light. He pushes away fear, and he opens up our eyes to what is before us. Light is hope to the hopeless, but you know what else light does sometimes? It exposes the sins of the sinful, right? Again, I always use this picture in my mind, but you know in your house sometimes, Maybe in that spring day and the light will just, when those sun rays will shine right through your house and then you see all the particles flowing through the air. Anybody else see particles in your house? Maybe your house just doesn't have that. But our house has all the particles, right? And it, all of a sudden that great light exposes what's really there, doesn't it, right? Today, please, and take this in the right way, but open up your heart to the light of Jesus that he would expose all the little dirty particles in your life and then that he would brush them away with his blood and he would strengthen you to be everything he wants you to be. That's what the light does. Jesus is the light. The light has come. Heaven is near. This is a really good from uh, E. Stanley Jones. I want to read this to you. He's a Methodist doctor. He was a missionary to India. And he writes this. Oh, it's so good. The early Christians did not say in dismay, well, look what the world has come to. Uh Uh-oh, that's kind of what I say, right? 
Oh no, look what the world has come to. He says, the early Christians didn't say, look what the world has come to, but in delight they said, look what has come to the world. They saw not merely the ruin, but the resource for the reconstruction of that ruin. They saw not merely that sin did abound, but that grace did much more abound. On that assurance, the pivot of history swung from blank despair, loss of moral nerve and fatalism. It swung to faith and confidence that at last sin had met its match. That's a little different outlook, isn't it? A little different approach. Oh, please, sometimes I'm so bad, I'm probably way worse than most of you. I do the oh, woe is me, and I can't believe this world has gone to the dogs, and can you believe they're not even saying Merry Christmas, and on and on and on, right? Guess what? The light has come. Sin has met its match, and where sin has abounded, grace has superabounded to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. We're on the winning side, people. (laughs) We can celebrate that today because light has come. The Lord is our light. The Lord is our joy. The Lord is our joy. Look at verse three back in Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah writes, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now, most of us here, we don't really celebrate harvest too much, do we, right? When's the last time you had to can some tomatoes? or green beans? When's the last time you put up some grapes or pickles? Right? Now, we have some people here probably did that most of their life, right? (laughs) But a lot of us, when we need something to eat, we just drive down to Walmart or Meyer or Kroger, right? And fill up our cart, and then we fill up our house. So harvest doesn't bring the joy necessarily that it did to these folks. And if you can kind of picture that just for a little bit, you've been waiting and waiting. And now if you've had a good harvest, you bring in all of the, the food from that harvest. What a celebration, right? What a time of bounty and thankfulness. The joy of the child coming is like joy at the harvest. It is also like joy when the army divor- divides the spoil. I kind of think of this this way. Have you ever seen little kids at either Halloween or at Easter when they get their candy haul, right? And they break it out all over the floor and they look for the Nestle's and the Snickers and they get all the chocolate stuff and put that to one side and then they get all the sugary stuff, the sweet tarts to one side and they get all the stuff that they don't like, like the peach Laffy Taffy and they stick it on one side, right? They divide their plunder, don't they, right? Now, we don't think of dividing plunder and war as much as they would in this day, but that very idea is true. The joy of bounty, of God's grace, as we separate through and we see what the Lord has given, that's what it is when this child comes. Simply today, what are the most joyous moments you have ever experienced in your life? Right, birth of your kids. Maybe your wedding day, maybe not, I don't know. Maybe when you became a Christian, right? Maybe when you finally graduated from high school or college or whatever it was, right? Those are moments of joy. But what I want to share with you today is nothing compares to the moment when Christ breaks into this world. And then everything changes. That is the joy that we're talking about here today. I want to challenge you today 
Very specifically, I want you to pray with our church that God would renew our joy and allow us to see his hand at work in our church. Brother Rick's been doing a really good job of reminding us to pray for baptisms and salvations. We've been praying for teachers to come, and we've been praying for people to come for us to serve. And I think what we really need is that great renewal of joy in our hearts. Joy is contagious, isn't it? Right? Have you ever been around somebody who is joyful? We would go, and I was in college, we would sing in choirs. Our Bible college choir would travel to churches. And you go to some churches, and you would sing your heart out, and everybody out there would just look like. <laughs> it was hard to sing to, right? But we would come, we'd come to my home church one time. My grandpa was there, Wallace Malone, and he couldn't sing a lick. But he was so happy when he sang and when he heard people sing about the Lord. And he would smile. And when he would smile, what do you think that did to us? It allowed us to sing even greater with greater joy. I had a friend by the name of Anthony Edgman. He's a missionary to Spain right now. And Anthony and I were both bass singers, and we would stand on the back row. And there were certain points of certain songs that we couldn't say amen necessarily while we were singing. And so we would smack each other in the leg when that was a really good part, and we were being blessed in that song. What happens to you when you're singing, all of a sudden I hit you in the leg? I knew what he meant, and I would think about it, and I'm like, you're right. The Lord is good, right? And we would sing. I'd rather have Jesus as one of the songs that I remember us doing that on. How about joy today? Can you pray today for your preacher, for his wife, for your friends in this body, that the Lord would not just help us always point out sin and expose all the problems, but that the Lord would fill our hearts with a contagious joy, that when people walked into our life or into our Wednesday night study and our Sunday school class, when our kids were singing, when we come together to worship, that there would be something different in this place, and they would recognize it as the joy of the Lord. By the way, Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord will be your strength. We need joy today, folks. Pray for us that the Lord would fill us with great joy. The next thing we look at today is freedom. Look in verse 4. This child will bring freedom, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. What in the world are we talking about here? The day of Midian's defeat. Any any, uh, Civil War buffs here? Right? You might could tell us about certain battles and battles that really remind you of great victories. And you would tell that story. Could you imagine hearing like your grandpa or your great-grandpa telling you the battle of Gettysburg or battles of different places like that? Even today, we have guys that sit around and tell us battles about World War II, don't we? Or battles about uh, Iraqi freedom, right? Those, there's remembrance there of where something amazing happened or something difficult came to pass. The Israelites remember a battle of Midian. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but just a quick reminder for you guys. You remember the battle of Midian? There was a guy by the name of Gideon. Remember Gideon? And Gideon, God spoke to him. He knew God was speaking to him. And yet, he just wasn't quite sure if he should do what God said. (laughs) You're not like that though, right? God tells you to do something, do it right away. So Gideon says, okay, Lord, just to make sure that I know it's you, we're going to do this experiment. I want to put a fleece up here. Uh, and then I'm going to have uh, the grass below. And what I would like you to do is on one time, I would like you to make the grass wet, but keep the fleece dry. Now, usually when you leave stuff out overnight, what happens if it's really wet in the grass? 
your stuff gets really wet, right? We do those little folding chairs and I forget sometimes I leave them out by the fire or something and I get there the next morning. I'm like, oh, why did you do that? Because then the chairs are all soaking wet, right? Well, sure enough, Gideon asked the Lord to do that and he comes out the next day and the grass is soaking wet, but the fleece is dry. Does Gideon say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go into battle? He says, "Ah, let's just double check that. Lord, let's see if you can do the opposite. Let's get the fleece all wet, but we'll keep the ground dry. And does the Lord do that? Absolutely. So again, with some coaxing, some talking, finally Gideon's like, okay, Lord, we will battle. We will go and I will be your judge. I'm going to help redeem your people from their oppressors. And they get ready to go to battle. And they have, uh, I believe it's 32,000 men. That's a pretty sizable army, right? Problem was the army they were facing was anywhere upwards of 135,000. Some people have estimated all the way up to almost 200,000. So 32,000 versus 132,000. What do you think the odds are? Which side do you want to be on, <laughs> right? So the Lord comes to Gideon, and I'm sure Gideon's thinking, oh, he's going to bring in some, some backup, some resources. And what's the Lord say? You've got too many people. You're kidding me here, Lord, right? Nope, I want you to tell everybody that's afraid, that has any fear at all, to go home. Of that 32,000, 22,000 men head home. Now, if you math majors out there, what's that leave us with? 10,000 versus 130,000, 30-some thousand or more. Odds are not looking so hot, right? The Lord again comes to Gideon, and I'm sure he's like, oh, no, this can't be good this time. Gideon used to have too many men. If we go into this, you're probably liable to take glory for that. You probably would take glory, wouldn't you? If there was 10,000 of us against 130,000, we'd say, look what we did. God says, uh, we need to shrink that down. So Gideon takes his men down to a brook and tells them to go get something to drink. And some of the men are so thirsty. I'm sure they've probably been walking and running and been really dry. And they lay all the way flat down on the ground. And they put their face all the way in the river and they just suck in the water. But there's a few guys that they reach down and they keep looking while they're drinking. And God says, Gideon, those are the men I want to keep. How many did they keep? The 300. You heard of the 300? This is the original 300. And God takes 300 men and a few lamps that are lit in these pots. And they go and surround up on the hillside the enemy camp. But the real miracle is that God's angel begins to move in the enemy camp and some of those men begin to have dreams. And the dream is that Israel's going to come and have a victory over the enemy. And this enemy camp is filled with all different kinds of tribes and dialects and they don't always understand each other. And in the middle of the night, God causes such a stir that they begin to have a confusion. And when Gideon calls out, he says, for the sword of the Lord of Gideon... And they break those lamps, and all of a sudden the hillside lights up with light. (laughs) And the enemy begins to turn on itself, and 300 men defeat over 130,000 men. Do you think that's a day of joy? A day of freedom? (laughs) A day of celebration? Isaiah says, when the child comes, it will be like this day. What's got you shackled today? What is it? What is that temptation that you can't escape? 
What is that relationship you can't get out of? What is that financial burden that keeps weighing you down? What are those decisions that you've made that have enslaved you? The truth of the gospel is if you will come to Jesus today, he will set you free. That's what he does. But we have to submit our life to him. Little is much when God is in it. We are so blessed to be free. Diane, if you'll pull up that picture. Yesterday, we just had a great opportunity on a really gloomy day uh, to be reminded of what makes our nation so special. And one after another, as people mentioned different things, we had different speakers. What came to be in my mind, what just stood out to my mind is of probably the highest value that we have in America is freedom, isn't it? I mean, we're hardworking and we try to be compassionate and we're pragmatic. We have a lot of things that are attributes of Americans, but I don't know if there's anything higher than freedom. And we were able to go and lay wreaths at the tombs. One of the tombs that I saw was unknown. They didn't know who that was, but they wanted to honor that person for their sacrifice for the freedom that we have. What I want to tell you today is when Jesus came, not only did he give us <laughs> freedom like we think of an American freedom, but he sets us free from sin and death. My devotions this morning, I read that Jesus destroyed death. Wow. All these things, light and joy and freedom, and then verse 5, peace. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. There's not going to be any more need for soldier gear because the Lord is the one who will do the fighting and he will win the battle. There will be peace in the midst of all these things. These are promised and they shall be delivered. And how shall that come to pass? Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This child will change the world forever. He is the reason we live and move and hope. He is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Friend, and our King. Just quickly in Luke chapter 2, I know you're familiar with this passage, but verse 10. So you can see that Isaiah's promise comes true even as Luke writes his gospel. Luke 2.10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not! For I behold, I bring you good tidings of great, what? Joy, which shall be to all people. Verse 11, for, does this sound familiar? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You guys, I don't want to keep you through three hours because I think I could spend an hour on every one of the next points. So if you'll listen quick, I'll get us through, okay? But the point is, as Isaiah promised, even so, Jesus has come. Light Peace, joy, freedom has come in Christ. He is got to be described to us. Isaiah tries to describe him to us, and he gives us four names. The first one, he is our wonderful counselor. Let me read to you this from Matthew Henry. So good. Think about Jesus as a wonderful counselor today. If you're looking for direction, if you're looking for advice, if you're looking for comfort, think of Jesus in these ways. Jesus advised sinners to repentance he encouraged souls to believe in him. He directed the weary to come to rest, right? All ye that are heavy laden, take your yoke and come, right? 
He directed the hungry and thirsty for food. He counseled them to sin no more. We saw that last week, right? The woman caught in adultery. He advised his followers to do all to all men as they would have men to do unto them. The golden rule. He, he said to bear reproaches and to persecutions, do it cheerfully. Jesus counseled us to love one another. And now he gives counsel by the ministry of the word, the produce of his wisdom, a transcript of his eternal counsel and covenant, a declaration of the will of God and of Christ. Today we have the Bible to be our guide. The wonderful counselor didn't leave us without instruction. And in which Christ counsels the poor in spirit to come to him for riches, the naked to come for clothing, the ignorant for spiritual light and knowledge, such as are ready to perish to come for salvation. And he counsels those that believe to abide in him. Which counsel is sincere and faithful, is wise and prudent and freely given. And which being taken infallibly succeeds. He is counsel for them in heaven. He appears there in the presence of God for them. And as their advocate, he pleads their cause. This wonderful counselor is the mediator, the wisdom of God, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are, and on whom the spirit of wisdom and understanding and of counsel and might rests. When you aren't sure what to do today, you can turn to a wonderful counselor. That is good. Amen. I don't know where your heart is today and what you're struggling with today. Today, I, I pray God's blessing on you as you see that unto us a child is born who is a wonderful counselor. And I challenge you today to turn your heart to him, turn your burden to him, ask for his wisdom. He is the mighty God, the mighty God. Think of just briefly, Jesus walked on the water. He healed the blind. He even brought the dead to life again. As we think of Jairus' daughter, we think of Lazarus. But most important, he forgives sins, which is something only a mighty God can do. Let me read to you briefly about a story where Jesus forgave sins. The scripture says they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, I always love that, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Did you catch that? He didn't heal him physically. He didn't say that. He said, sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, verse six, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, who, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? But God alone. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Again, a mighty God. So he said to the man, I'll tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. It doesn't matter the worst thing you've done. You maybe have been a horrible person in your past. And maybe this isn't for you today, or maybe it is, but maybe it's for somebody you know. They may have a thousand reasons why God can't forgive them. 
but the mighty God forgives sins. Hear the Lord today? Some of you need to hear this. You are still carrying guilt around. You're still harboring guilt in your heart for your mess. And Jesus is a mighty God. And today, if you will give your heart to him and say, Lord, forgive me, he will cleanse you and make you whole. Just like the man got up and walked home, he will change your life. The mighty God forgives sins. The everlasting Father Again, that idea, Jesus is from the beginning to the end, right? Again, in the book of John, chapter 8, the scripture says, Jesus says, excuse me, though you do not know him, I know him, speaking of the Father. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw and was glad. Right? A lot of joy in the message today, isn't there? <laughs> Abraham saw this day, and he was glad. Verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, look at this. Before Abraham was born, I am. Do you hear that? Everybody around Jesus heard that. What did he say? What did he say? He didn't say before Abraham was born, I was. He said before Abraham was born, I am. Who said that? Moses, the burning bush. Who should I tell him that sent me? I am. The everlasting, what's the second word? Father. The child is the father. Are you tracking today? The Lord is trying to speak to our hearts and encourage us today. Before Abraham was born, I am. And you know the people got it because in verse 59, what did they say? What did they do? At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. He's calling himself God. Yes, he is. He is the everlasting father. Jesus was in the beginning, he shall be in the end, and his offer is of an eternal salvation. Not a short time, but forever. One of our Indian Christian friends mentioned to us that when you get saved, salvation starts from then. It doesn't start in heaven, it starts as soon as you come to know Christ. And it is forever. Though he is the son of Almighty God, he is the everlasting father of the gospel and redeemed us with his own blood. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Everlasting Father. Though everything around you changes, have you guys noticed that? Any old folks in the room beside the preacher? It gets hard to change, doesn't it? Especially as we get older. Though everything around you changes, Jesus will always be the same. His promise is always good. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is truly our good, good Father. Man, the Lord is good, isn't he? The last name Isaiah gives us today, and we'll be dismissed with this. He is the Prince of Peace. Anybody got a little turmoil in their life this season? Let the Lord be your peace. He came to bring us peace. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, maybe my favorite verse about peace in the whole Bible. Isaiah, again, 700 years before Jesus is crucified, he writes this. 
but he, speaking of Messiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us what? Peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Unto us a child is born, and he brings peace. And he bears it on his back so that you don't have to. Praise the Lord today, right? Praise the Lord today. There will be no more war and peace when peace will reign and does reign even already in the hearts of those who trust in Christ. For we who were the enemies of God are now at peace with him and are his servants. Uh, This is from Addison Leach. He quotes this. I thought it was interesting. He says, sometimes our trouble is that we want the peace without the prince. It doesn't work that way, does it? If you want peace, you need the prince of peace. Think with me just a little bit this morning. This is from Chuck Swindoll. He says, some gifts you can give this Christmas are beyond monetary value. Maybe you can mend a quarrel. Have you done that before? You had to be a peacemaker? <laughs> Maybe you can dismiss suspicion or just tell someone I love you. Maybe you can give something away anonymously or forgive someone who has treated you wrong. Maybe you can turn away wrath with a soft answer or visit someone in the nursing home. Apologize if you were wrong. Be especially kind to someone with whom you work. Here's what I like. He says this. Give as God gave to you in Christ without obligation or announcement or reservation or hypocrisy. Think of the gift that we have in the Christ child and give as the Lord has given to us. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And Isaiah says, of the increase of his government, peace there shall be no end. Let's stand this morning. Today, I hope that you can rejoice in the Lord and what he has done for us. And then most of all today, I wish your prayer today, so I'll go play at the piano a little bit. I want you to pray that the Lord will allow you to reflect his light to someone this week. Today, if you need peace or if you're dealing with turmoil or you're dealing with hurt and you need the mighty God or you need to heed the counselor of the wonderful counselor or if you need the Father to come and be uh, grace and peace to you today, would you seek the Lord in your heart and let's honor him this morning by opening our hearts to him and be obedient as he leads.